to the Justice and War in American History podcast. I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Ray Haberski. War has long been an indelible part of America's story, shaping national identity, values, and principles. The experience of war has transformed the lives of each generation. And because of this, it has historically elicited impassioned debates and conflicting perspectives. This podcast aims to explore this history by bringing together a diverse range of voices, veterans, active service members, citizens, and scholars. Through our conversations, we will consider the ways in which war has shaped and reshaped notions of justice. In the process, we will engage with broad themes such as duty, heroism, suffering, loyalty, and patriotism. Our broad framework during this season is to compare and contrast the histories of the Spanish-American, Philippine-American, and Vietnam Wars, wars that had a profound effect on the people of the United States. The National Endowment for the Humanities has generously provided funding for this project, making it possible to have conversations about the effects of war on American veterans, their families, and the generations who bear witness to conflict. Welcome back to another episode of Justice and War in American History. Today's episode is Coming Home. So many American movies have been made about soldiers who return home from, from war. And I think for many of us who have never served, never been in war, this is a topic that um, is charged, frankly. It, it has a lot of sentimental value sort of baked into it in popular culture, but is, uh, is rarely sort of talked about in real terms. Um, I mean, I think many of us know the movies that you know, we, we might think about, including the movie Coming Home from the 1970s or Best Years of Our Lives in the 1940s. But I got a chance to sit down with uh, some of the vets that we've been talking to in, in many of these podcasts to talk through what it was like to return uh, home from any kind of service that they had done and why their experiences, uh, each of them, were different from each other and what that sort of tells us about the expectations they had going into uh, the service, into war, and how they had to, tra- to translate that experience for the people back home once they were stateside more permanently. So it was a really interesting conversation. Uh, I think this is one of the most personal episodes that we have uh, in the podcast, and um, I really enjoyed it. And This episode is called Coming Home. Uh, today we have uh, four people who we'll be talking to. We have uh, two people right now I want to introduce uh, themselves. Uh, Jordan, why don't you start? Okay. Uh, my name is Jordan Hansen. I am currently a student at IUPUI studying to be a uh, social studies history of sorts, maybe professor someday. And I served in the Army for five years as a 31 Bravo military police officer. I'm currently serving in the Indiana Air National Guard, uh, doing security forces, so similar role, just different title. Uh, served overseas, was on a search and rescue team, uh, recently was deployed to the Middle East, mm-hmm. got some experience over there doing some police work and uh, overall base security. Good. All right. Todd? Yeah, hi, I'm Todd Shelton. Uh, currently, I am a lecturer in the Media Arts and Science program in the long-named Luddy School of Informatics. Mm-hmm. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, that just got renamed. Um, and then, you know, I spent three and a half years in the Army as well. I started off as an IT, uh, IT person, 25 Bravo, and then transitioned over to an 18 Echo, which is a Special Forces communication. So- All right, so this episode is about coming home. So we're actually going to, instead of going back into your military past and your experiences overseas or basic training or anything like that, we'd like to talk about the memories that you have of the transition from whatever service you did to coming home sort of for good. 
right? Whatever transition into somewhat civilian life you had. Uh, this is uh, a, a pretty uh, important and common story that we focus on uh, uh, when we talk about war in America. So usually the pageantry of going into war um, is fairly simplistic. You know, we focus on patriotism and things like that. The fighting of the war, we can talk about, you know, um, justification, the details of what it's like to be overseas, to be faced with uh, the kind of crises that, that uh, soldiers uh, encounter. But coming home always seems to be very ambiguous, that it's a, a very personal story. There does not, at least to, to me and the stuff that I've read, there doesn't seem to be a simple common way for soldiers to transition out of being in some sort of uh, real service to whatever comes next. Um, so there are multiple ways to get into this. Uh, some of the most famous movies, right, about war uh, try to tackle this issue. Uh, the Best Years of Our Lives maybe was uh, perhaps one of the most famous, came out in 1946. It was based on a number of articles that were published in Life Magazine and Time Magazine. Uh, the movie, at least, uh, focused on um, uh, three soldiers, each one with very different experiences of coming home. One was a disabled vet. Uh, one was, you know, sort of upper middle class. He was a, an executive at a bank. And the other one was um, teetering alco on alcoholism and had lost his his uh, fiance while he was away. Um, I think often we see them, uh, those sorts of characters as archetypes. But of course, you know, even within the movie itself, it, it, it didn't, you know, you could see that there were lots of ambiguities within their own stories. So if you guys would be willing to share a bit more about what it was like to come home or what that meant to you when, or, or even when you realized that that transition was going to happen, I think it would make for uh, an interesting podcast. So Jordan, I'm going to ask you to, to go first, if that's okay. Sure. Okay. Sure. Uh, my experience has been a little different based on the fact that I am in the guard. So there's that right. kind of citizen soldier aspect where I'm continuing to serve. Okay. Um, the, I guess, biggest experience for me in coming home was this most recent deployment um, and, and that transition back to my going from an active duty life to back to guard where I'm, you know, one weekend a month or uh, just kind of always ready to be called upon. Yeah. Um, but it was very much, it was difficult in the fact that there is this patriotism that exists in our country. So I had a very great welcoming home. Um, my entire family basically packed out the Indianapolis airport and yeah. welcomed me. And it was, it was wonderful. It was That's amazing. Awesome. Yeah. But there's this feeling of, of guilt. Okay. Because I have, I don't feel like I've done enough or that I, that I had done anything of substantial value. Um, so that was a very difficult portion of me because I, I, you know, you see, especially through the war in Iraq, Afghanistan, that yeah. there's these horrible things have happened. And obviously there's um, lots of people coming home, not fully themselves disabled, you know, what have you. And, you know, I was in the middle East, but I was, you know, watching the base, I was working out, yeah. I wasn't doing a whole lot. So there's mm -hmm. this kind of lingering guilt that I didn't do enough. Um, so that's kind of been my experience. I, I think as a, as a general, um, whole, the country has, has kind of rebounded from this, you know, when we talk about Vietnam and the, the chance of people to not have a good coming home. Now we're on the opposite where everyone's thanked for their service and welcomed. And, mm -hmm. and that does, if you haven't, um, if you haven't given a huge sacrifice, yeah 
or at least what feels like a huge sacrifice, then you do kind of have that lingering guilt. And I, I know this of a lot of people, especially those that serve in the guard that, you know, we, we do have this time where we go, but we're still kind of expected to be, you know, that civilian also. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of been the, the biggest point of my experience. And it's something I still kind of battle with because, yeah. you know, my stepdad was in the uh, army guard for 22 years. He had multiple deployments. He got injured. Um, and he, lived this role very well of that citizen soldier mm-hmm. and always wanted to give back. And so there's this part of me that feels like I, I need to be doing more. Yeah. Um, especially when you see the sacrifice of other people. I mean, it is interesting that, that one of the characteristics for you is this idea of guilt, which means that um, somebody somewhere has made you feel like you owe something yeah. to something bigger. Uh, maybe we can talk a bit more about that as we get into uh, his, historical context for the idea of coming home. Uh, but I appreciate, you know, the sort of uh, the personal reflection you have there. Todd, how about you? Yeah, so I would almost have to agree with Jordan here. I, yeah. I, I do feel that guilt, you know. Mm-hmm. So just going back through me coming home, I started off in the Guard and then went active duty. Um, and it was in Korea and then Germany for a hot second mm-hmm. and then came back to the States when training and stuff. Um, ended up getting hurt and getting out. And, you know, I didn't feel like I fulfilled everything that I wanted to, Mm. you know, in there, even though I did a lot, you know, in that short amount of time, it was like, man, you know, I left something out there and it was a hard decision for me Mm -hmm. um, to actually get out. And the surgeon was like, you know, Hey, (laughs) we got people coming home with no legs. Right. You know, if we have to put, you know, one more surgery on, you're never going to be able to walk right again. You know, you need to think about that. You know, I was a little older and I think when I got out, I was, I felt that guilt, you mm-hmm. know, and you kind of live with that. And mm-hmm. I thought about that for a little bit. And, um, and, and I think it's because we looked at Vietnam a long time ago <laughs> and how much stuff happened to all those soldiers that came back. And then I think that put something on us. Like we saw how much they did and how much they went through, mm-hmm. you know, and we felt like, man, I was nowhere even close to that. You know, yeah. and I still have a lot of, you know, my dad's friends, of course, yeah. you know, that still living with yeah. that stuff, you know, and the PTSD and, and all that kind of, uh, you know, hatred yeah. from Vietnam, you know. So I, I would have to agree with you. Um, and, you know, it was funny because people was like, you know, do you really have PTSD or do you really have that? And it was like, you know, some of that I can live with. I just felt guilty. And, and sometimes I just felt lost, like the brotherhood for me. Yeah. You know, when you're surrounded by yeah. 16 or 20 guys, you know, all the time. Yeah, all the time. All the time. Yeah, that's all what the I, time. Yeah. Right. And, and that's what you live with. And all of a sudden you come home, and what's really strange is, even though I was only gone for total, even after basic and all of that, you know, for four years, all those people you knew before that, even, you know, and I was older when I went in, they just disappear yeah. and you come home and it's like, you don't have that best friend anymore. You know, you still talk to him, but it's not that connection you had before you left. Yeah. And it's like, I'm starting over and I don't have that brotherhood, hmm. you know? And I say brotherhood, but it, it could be females. It could be anybody. Right. No, so, sure, sure. but that's what we called it. You know, I mean, that for me, you know, coming out of my training and all of that for that 18 echo is just, that was a brotherhood to us. Yeah. And to me that I struggled with that a little bit. Uh, it's definitely a transition and <laughs> when you're serving in any any capacity and you're going through and you look to your left and right you 
generally believe that these people would die for you mm-hmm. when you're in the grocery store, when you're, you know, doing whatever you look to the left and right. It's like people are, you know, you don't want to make characteristic or characterizations, but generally selfish or, you know, whatever, like the, yeah. I'm not expecting anybody right. to do what my my brothers have done mm-hmm. for me. Um, so it's uh, yeah, I, I get that. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, I, part of what is interesting for me in this sort of series is uh, I have never served, uh, I've never thought about it, um, but I write a lot about the debate that the rest of America has about wars and how they they view generally what soldiers do, what decisions that put soldiers in harm's way or put them in positions to kill and die for people that they do not know, the people in the grocery stores, you know. Um, When I teach courses about American history, one of the best ways to get students to start talking is to show them things from popular culture where people have tried to characterize whatever uh, the experience of war is. And certainly the one of the most evocative ways to get students talking is to think through the coming home experience because this is where both the soldiers have to make the transition back to something that is supposed to be familiar but is now foreign, right? I'm thinking of, you know, the scenes in Hurt Locker where the guy's in the grocery store and he's like, what the, what am I doing here, you know? I'd rather be back trying to defuse bombs in cars, you know, in Iraq. For, for somebody in the theater watching it, like, why, you know? It's it's difficult to express the the simplicity I think of combat or of um, I, there's a lot of nuance to it but the uh, I explain this whenever I'm talking to somebody getting ready to go to basic training mm-hmm. like yep. you will never have an easier time in your life you're told what to wear what time you're getting up where you need to be mm-hmm. your foods like everything is laid out completely for yeah. you uh, and it's similar when you're overseas you know exactly what the mission is all the time when you come home. What's your mission? Yeah. What and that's mm-hmm. part of the issue that people have with coming home in general and transitioning back to that civilian life. And people deal with the PTSD because they lose that that mission component. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, I, again, I mentioned I was a little older, so I was in my 30s when I joined. Yeah. Um, so I used to literally, you know, an older and more mature and going in through basic. I mean, I had the understanding of you know what, I can only do so much. You know what I mean? So I kind of had that where you had the 18-year-olds just coming out, you know, and I worried about them. I honestly thought about them all the time, even if they weren't at war or whatever, just coming out. Let's just, I was thinking, they're given everything. Like some of these have never experienced life. And all of a sudden now they have housing for free. Right Now they can eat for free. Now they know where they're going home. You know what I mean? So it's like, how do they deal with that? after four or five, you know, or six years or whatever they enlisted for, or, you know, or they stay for retirement. Cause even later, even if you get your housing income, you know, you're still getting that yeah. income for housing. And yeah. now all of a sudden you get out, you mean I have to pay $2,000 for a mortgage? Where, where does that yeah. come? You know, now you got to worry about your job, how much you're making. And that's a difficult transition for anybody. And just, that's just taking the war part out of it. And then when you add that on top of that, the stress level uh, to me, I think would send anybody into a mental, you know, yeah, spiral, physical, yeah, yeah. spiral. To no, I, mean, I think I actually think this is a fascinating aspect of coming home that we don't talk about. We, we, again, we sort of simplify the story because we look back at, um, moments that have some sort of collective memory in them, 
It's how Vietnam vets were treated. It's how World War II had, you know, vets had ticker tape parades. It was the celebration after the end of World War One. It's um, a very ambiguous way that, that uh, soldiers were reintroduced to their communities after the Spanish-American War. Some spent six months in Cuba and came back as, as absolute heroes. Others spent two or three years in the Philippines, mm-hmm. you know, um, many coming back with terrible diseases. Um, so I, I think this idea that that moment of transition in, in one sense is something that um, rightfully or wrong, wrongly, we, we actually remember in certain ways. Like it's much more complicated how Vietnam vets were treated when they got back. You know, there's, a, there's been a lot of good historical research about the myth of this or that, you know, but much more serious is what both of you are talking about. It's the day after. It's the week after. It's the it's the year after. What exactly have you been doing since you got back? Since you came home, you know, since you spent whatever it could be a year, two, three years. It doesn't matter, right? If but if if you're 18 years old and for two years everything's been provided for you, and you're back now as a civilian or even in the guard, but you have to make it on your own. What does that look like? Well, and what you do with the feelings that you have about that? That's yeah. I mean, one thing. Um, there, I have two direct examples that are almost the same, but two completely different paths. Yeah. Uh, one friend won't say any names, but right. he uh, um, he came home on leave during a deployment in Afghanistan, and I believe it's Afghanistan. And uh, was when he was home, the convoy, the seat that he was supposed to be in, um, they got RPG'd, and the guy that was in his seat covering his spot died. And so he was only home on on leave and then had, you know, went back to his, his unit. Um, and, and now he has that kind of feeling for the rest of his life. Like the person that was in that seat died and that was supposed to be me. And then, and and he struggles with that in, in a monumental way, uh, lots of, lots of issues. But, um, then there's another one that I've, I've read a book that's actually called in my seat, uh, that talks about one of the, um, pilots on nine 11, who his flight assignment got changed that morning. He was supposed to be piloting one of the planes that went into the World Trade Center, and now he's reflected on that and, and kind of changed. I mean, that changed the trajectory of his life. Like, yeah. it's these moments um, in coming home, you know, that he wasn't actually anywhere, but do you still have that moment of realization, like, I could have never come home, and now I am, and what do I do with that? Right, I mean, listen, when you get deployed, when you're sent overseas, uh, on behalf of the United States as a soldier, right? The, um, it, it, it is, it, there, the, it, there's a possibility, right? That you're going to be placed in some sort of crosshairs or, you know, some sort of um, dangerous situation, unlike the other 99% of the population, right? I mean, this is one of the things that does distinguish the generations that you guys are part of, of the service from, a generation like the Vietnam uh, generation where guys were drafted in, into the service, right? They didn't volunteer. They, the idea of guilt may be different for, for some of them. Maybe it's luck. Maybe it's fortune that they got out, you know, and didn't get hurt or killed or, or, or see some, you know, one of their friends get, get killed. But for you guys, it is a different, it's a professional army, professional service. And that happened because of Vietnam mm-hmm. in many ways, right? We didn't want to go back to that, but everyone, you know, that, that sort of um, manufactured uh, moments of forcing civilians into the service and then uh, having to, having the obligation to do something about them when they got out, you know? I mean, 
you guys signed up knowing that this was for perhaps for life, you know? Um, I, I wonder about that as well. When you, when you come out of the service, you had volunteered to go into it. Do you ever leave it? I mean, you volunteered to do it to begin with. Uh, does, that, does that feeling ever stop? Man, that's a hard... For me, I think it just depends on the person, I think, and how much they want to forget about it, you know, or what situation they were probably put in. And and for, you know, uh, for me, I really miss the brotherhood of it, you know, uh, for a lot of it, you know, you always see these ads on the, you know, on the TV where, you know, they're coming up out of the water. Yeah, right. right, right. Oh, that's cool. That stuff doesn't happen all the time. I mean, how many CQ duties did I pull? And it's just like, what? This was never in my contract, you know? And, you know, and you think, and I don't want to forget, I don't want to remember that. You know, those are, but it's the brotherhood for me. Where a lot of other people, I got friends that just go, I never want to think about that again. Mm -hmm. I never want to, you know, that I just, if I could get rid of that part of my life, I would. And, you know, I, and again, Jordan, you probably had a different experience, but for me, I mean, I missed that part. Yeah. I wish I could go back to that. Yeah. Yeah. There's aspects that I, I, I miss, but I'm, I'm a lot in that second camp where I'm, I'm kind of been my perspective of the military of the United States system as a whole has kind of changed where I'm, you know, I, I think why a lot mm-hmm. and I question the decisions that the whoever is making yeah. makes on, you know, why we're sending people where we do. And I mean, we, there is this assumption that, you know, civilians like me have, right. That once you've been in the service, you look at each other, those who have in a different way, like you're, you're part of a club in, in, in some ways the best possible way that we will never be part of, you know, I, and you know, again, when I, I teach about world war two and I look at uh, the best years of our lives, there are some scenes in that movie that are, I, I find very, um, revealing, right? When the vets get together in sort of pivotal scenes in the movie, they know what each other is thinking. Like they have an analysis of like corrupt bureaucracies or what civilians don't understand or the idea of loyalty um, or all the, 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 the price that so many of them had to pay and the, go, the guys who did not come back. You know, there, there's that type of, that sort of culture of brotherhood or of service or solidarity. I don't know if we can manufacture it almost any other way. I mean, now that you're, you've been stateside and, and, you know, more or less, right. Is there anything comparable to it outside of the military? I I don't think so. I think that one of the things you just hit, hit on the, uh, you know what the other person is thinking. Yeah. Uh, and it reflects back to that brotherhood that you do have that. And there like, you have people that disagree with each other on almost every level <laughs> imaginable, right. any context you can think of, but they would still yeah. give the ultimate sacrifice for mm-hmm. that person. And I don't think you can manufacture yeah. that. Yeah. Agreed. 100%. I, with what you were saying, I think about, how much my perspective has changed. And like you said, civilians that it's easy for them to make an assumption right, or an opinion yep. of something and say, oh, that's war is bad. Or, you know, until you go over there and see some of the stuff, the way that these other civilians are done in these other countries and how they're treated. And, and it's like, you don't know. Yeah. Like, you don't know how bad it really is. Or you don't know how this child, yeah. you know, it's easy for you to sit here and, uh, 
make an assumption of what's right and what's wrong. And, you know, and I, I, I do agree with you. You answer, you ask yourself why a lot. And then you hear of a lot of this bickering, the news, <laughs> you know, and you're like, really? We're fighting over this? We're arguing over this when, you know, my buddy just got, you know, killed, you know, or, or whatever. And here I am at home. Yeah. You know? You th- I think about that often with the age of technology and information mm-hmm. that right. we, we can see anything and everything, but right. you still don't have this... Like they're still not the same on the ground grasp yeah. of what's of what's going on in other people's lives. Um, I think it's better now. Yeah, it, it, it is, and there's different channels to where people can get more experience that maybe military gets, yeah. uh, but not in the same way. Where, I mean, if you're on the ground giving clean water to somebody that's never had clean water, you know, stuff like that, that yeah. it's hard to replicate. I mean, I, actually, I want to ask one more question to the two of you. I'm curious about whether or not you developed a different kind of empathy uh, after being in, in the service. So when you came back to wherever you came back to, did you see things differently? Whatever it meant, whatever, let's say, danger meant or, or want or need or um, you know, sort of the idea of helping people. I mean, was, was there something that changed in how you looked at other people? here in the United States after being away? That's difficult. Um, That is a difficult question. I would say that for me, I saw a lot more, I didn't worry about danger as much, you know, because you feel like, you know, you should be safe here, right? Right. But, you know, so that part of me didn't worry about it. But it was just how ungrateful a lot of people were. Okay. Just on a daily basis. Yeah. You know, when you see, and I'm just basing this on what I saw in other countries, you know, I mean, of course, Germany is still, I mean, it's a great country, but even in just places in Korea, South Korea that I, you know, you just think about, man, there's just kids just that we would never treat like that, you know, and over there. And in some of the other countries I went to Mm -hmm. and you're like, wow, you know, yeah, I, I have empathy more for that. Okay. For the children part of things, because to me. I think an adult has a choice. You should have, you know, you can think better, you're more mature and that kind of thing. But for yeah. me, it was the children. Yeah. yeah. You know? Okay. Yeah. I think for me, the, the connections is what I really changed my, mm-hmm. my thinking of my connection with other people, because where I was at was, um, it was a very large base, lots of moving pieces. It was easy to get lost in the base and in the functions. And my, my job, I did have, interact with other people, but often I was in supervisory roles where I was checking on multiple people or I was, you know, working by myself, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so, I mean, there was times where I was in packed rooms and yeah. felt completely alone. Yeah. And so the the connection aspect of really shifted for me to where I, when I came home, I was much more intentional about, mm-hmm. you know, time with my daughter, uh-huh. time with my wife, yeah. time with my friends. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you both. Uh, it was really a great conversation. We yeah. will, uh, of course, be talking to you again on a, on a future episode. But thanks again. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Justice and War in American History. Please stay tuned for our next episode, which you can find on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, or through any of your favorite podcast providers. Please be sure to rate the podcast and to be in touch with us if you have any questions or feedback. You can find more information about this podcast and the broader Justice and War Project 
at justiceandwarseminar.org. If you are a veteran or concerned about a veteran who is experiencing a mental health crisis, there is 24-hour support through the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Dial 988 and press 1 or text at 838-255. More information on support from the VA, visit mentalhealth.va.gov. And, as always, special thanks to the National Endowment for the Humanities for making this project possible. Thank you.